and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. When can we meet again? There's no simple answer to this question, considering the various local restrictions, evolving public health developments, and the individual preferences and concerns of attendees. But whenever meetings finally resume, we can be sure that planners must be able to ensure they are protecting their attendees, reducing the risk of infection, and providing every stakeholder with the resources they need to meet without fearing for their health. In short, they will need a health security plan. That's the term used by Jonathan Sparrow, CEO of In-House Physicians, which for three decades has provided corporate meetings and events with medical care resources to help attendees and offer health guidance to planners and venues. I'm Alex Palmer, Deputy Editor for North Star Meetings Group, and for the latest episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals, we spoke with Sparrow about how planners can draw on expert advice to create a plan to prevent, detect, and respond to COVID-19 risks at meetings of all sizes. He discusses how even if meetings are allowed to resume, it won't matter if attendees feel uncomfortable attending, and how this crisis will reshape the role of health at meetings for years to come. Thanks a lot, Jonathan, for joining us. Uh, Maybe we can start with you can just give us a little bit of background on yourself and in-house physicians. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I founded in-house physicians 30 years ago when I just finished my residency. I uh, practiced both internal medicine and emergency medicine, and I kind of fell into an opportunity where Merck Pharmaceuticals connected with me for one of their launch meetings back in 1990 when I was still in my residency, and, and then they asked me to start traveling with them. I was still finishing my residency, but when I got out of my residency, I started doing that about three months out of the year. I travel with Merck Pharma and uh, around the country for their sales and uh, other business meetings and was an on-site physician. And that was just a policy of theirs back then. And I started thinking that other companies may want a service like this. So the next client was Anheuser-Busch, and then I got Apple Computer, and then I realized I, I had a company. And we grew the meetings and events division. I still practice medicine. And then I, during the financial crisis, I expanded our portfolio of services to include permanent worksite health centers and health screenings and flu vaccinations. But the meetings and events uh, support is still healthy and growing. Uh, more recently, we've gotten a lot more interest in the services. What are the issues that you'd have to be called on to assist with? Well, let me start by the by saying this, and this may surprise most audiences, but we see about one to two percent of the group per day. In the winter months, we might see three or four percent of the group per day. You could literally have a thousand person meeting where after a winter program in February, you know, during a busy flu season, we've seen a good 150 people. When you talk to meeting planners, they say, Well, I haven't had that many emergencies, and we say, Well, that's true, but we're not taking care of emergencies. Mostly what we're taking care of, what we call the walking wounded, the folks that go to a, a meeting and are there for four or five days, get sick, have a back injury, neck injury, you know, stomach problems, and 
right now they're not seeking care because it's either too inconvenient, you know, to leave the meeting place, go to an emergency room or an urgent care, or there's cost implications, or you could get an on-call physician. There's these services that will have on-call physicians to come to your room, but they're extremely expensive. You don't know the quality of the physician. So what happens mostly is these attendees are just sick and they struggle through the meeting or they skip half the meeting and are in bed. And I'd say most of our clients bring us on initially for risk management for those emergencies saying, Hey, I had this, someone who had an allergic reaction to shellfish, or I had someone who had chest pain or someone who stopped breathing and I will never go without a physician on site. But once they have us on site, the reason they keep us isn't just risk management. It's, it's uh, taking care of those attendees that are missing the meeting because planners and the host organizations spend a lot of money to get them there. And quite often, these are important meetings where maybe it's a POA meeting or an annual sales meeting where you're giving them valuable information and they, it's a lost opportunity if they're sick. And we do cost analysis where we do return on investment and show that we can actually justify having us on site just from a cost perspective. And yeah. now in-house physicians, you partner with various physicians in different regions or how do you, how's that set up now? Yeah, well, we have a, we have a couple hundred healthcare providers that work for us throughout the year. We do 500 to a thousand meeting days a year. We have staff that have been working with us for decades. And typically the staff is either emergency medicine based or they're a paramedic that works on an ambulance rig. So they understand how to take care of emergencies, even though we don't see a ton of emergencies, and we're happy about that. Uh, we wanna be prepared. We bring everything we need on site from a sore throat to a heart attack. We bring a pharmacy on site. So if you have bronchitis and you're diagnosed with bronchitis or you have back pain, we have medications for you. You never have to leave the property. In the wake of, of the COVID-19 pandemic, events being shut down, now there is a lot more talk about them, what, what it's going to take to open them back up. Uh, you saw U.S. Travel Association just released their own guidelines. A number of hotels have released cleanliness guidelines. You're seeing more talk about that concept of health security. So maybe you could talk about that and maybe from your perspective, what you think an organization or an association that's looking to start planning their meeting, what their priorities should be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the foundation is to understand that this crisis, uh, not just for the United States or for the world, but specifically for the media industry, is one of health insecurity. And that's what's, if you really boil it down to why people aren't going to meetings, they are scared for their health. If you stay focused on that problem, that's the problem, then it makes a lot of sense that the, the solution is health security, to bring back that sense of security. The genesis of health security came from the global public, public health community that was dealing with third world countries that their economies were in shambles because of disease that was unchecked, poor access to healthcare, vaccinations, and all those types of things that just weren't there for them. And so they identified that health security was the reason that their economy was failing. And that could be true. That's a great uh, segue to talk about the media industry. The way the, the reason the media industry is failing now is because of health insecurity. And so a health security plan really based on three elements. And I've stolen this from the, the playbook of global health care experts. 
but it's uh, prevention, detection, and response. So it's PDR, prevention, detection, and response. So all the elements of, of or interventions that you want to include in your health security plan for your, for your meeting will fall into one of those three categories. Prevention measures are the things that you're doing to prevent illness at the meeting. So sending out communications, encouraging frequent breaks to, for hand washing, you're disinfecting surfaces frequently. It's great to see that the hotels are, are stepping up their game to do this, but it's going to have to be very frequent. It could be up maybe every hour that you're disinfecting surfaces in heavily trafficked areas uh, where people are using in break rooms and so forth. The ability to offer personal protective equipment, starting to think about procuring or working with a vendor that can procure masks and gloves. Now, will everyone want to wear a mask? Will they be mandatory? I doubt they will be. But you want to be able to offer those to people who are not quite, you know, they're ready to go to a meeting, but they're, they're still on the edge. So you need to help them out. So those are some of the things that you're, you need to do from a prevention point of view. Uh, another preventative measure, which we don't necessarily think about too much, is coming up with a strong sick attendee policy. So working, if you're a third party working with your client, if your client's internal to your corporation, then working with your HR department to come up with a policy that is enforceable and that you can monitor. So if you're sick, don't come to the meeting. And if you are at the meeting and you're sick, you're going to be asked to go to your room. That's important too. For detection, the types of things you need to start thinking about are how can I detect illness at the meeting? It's going to be assumed that people are going to be sick at your meeting, especially this fall and winter. If you're, if you're one of the forward-thinking companies that's going to have meetings this fall or in the winter of 2021, you are going to deal with sick attendees. Are they all going to have COVID? Absolutely not. But they may have a cold, they may have the seasonal flu, they, or they may have COVID. And you need to, to plan accordingly. Temperature checks at the beginning of each day or temperature checks at general sessions, temperature checks when people uh, register are going to be something that you're going to want to think about. And that's not going to be too invasive because these folks will all already have returned to work. And many employers are going to be doing temperature checks for return to work. So they'll be used to it. In fact, they'll want you to do that because they'll say, hey, they're doing it at the, in the workplace. Why, if you don't do it there, they'll say, why aren't you doing it at the, at the meeting? Something else to think about from the, a detection point of view is, let's say you get a bunch of people with flu-like symptoms, and maybe most of them just have a cold or, or seasonal flu you'll want to know whether they do have uh, COVID-19. So providing some type of uh, uh, access to uh, rapid COVID-19 testing, which should be readily available uh, in later in the fall and the winter, is important. Does it have to be on site? Not necessarily, but finding a, a local resource that can do that for you, an urgent care or some other facility that, can, that you can refer people to will be important. And then response, and response is, is all about what do you do with people that, that do become sick at a meeting? How do you respond to that? Uh, how are you going to handle that situation? Are you going to send them back to the room, give them personal protective equipment? Do you need to get them tested? And what are you going to do with those test results? What happens if you do find out that someone has COVID-19, they did go to a facility or you had, to, you had an on-site medical provider, 
and they did a COVID test and they said, hey, this person has COVID, what are you going to do with them? They have to be quarantined, right? Do you have staff that's going to stay behind or what's your protocol? How are you going to handle that? So all those things need to be thought about right now before you start planning for your meeting. It truly is a new normal. That goes to the communication side of things, that there needs to be a communication strategy as well to explain these new steps, why an event needs to have these in order to ensure people feel safe. What are some aspects to think about that? Communication is is extraordinarily important now, more than ever. And you might actually want to have somebody dedicated to that, to do it, to putting that communications <clears throat> content together, which is telling people the facts, like saying, from where is COVID right now in the United States for this location that you're going to, if it's domestic or international, what's going on there in that community right now with COVID? Is, is it a hotspot? Do we have good access to testing? All those things are important. The facts are the most important, being real and genuine about it, having a, an opportunity for people to not only read your communications, but also ask questions, have respond to frequently asked questions. And if they have additional questions, have, have a dedicated person that will receive those questions and make it clear that we know you may have some concerns and we're here to answer any questions you have. So address those questions without trivializing them, but without creating more concern <laughs> with your responses. So it's, it's going to be a delicate balance and it's, communication is going to be really key because you want to be honest and transparent with your, with your attendees. Absolutely. And for folks, the planners, I think one of the things we've heard is a, a concern that you know, they're not epidemiologists, they're not medical experts. What should they be doing to make sure that they you know, are doing the right thing? Like obviously, there's something needs to be done, but maybe they don't know exactly what it is. How do they sort of get that advice and, and make sure that they're putting the right steps into, into practice? I mean, a couple, a couple of references that I that most people are aware of already, but I'm just going to confirm with you a lot of valuable information is the CDC, cdc.gov, and then go to their coronavirus section. And then Johns Hopkins has a coronavirus platform as well that provides a lot of useful information. There's also another site that that I could share with you. I think it's, it's called covid19.healthdata. .org, and that site offers predictive modeling tools, so these forecasting tools that you hear about on CNN and so forth, that will give you updates as to the present situation and the future situation in certain cities in the United States. So if you're planning a meeting in a certain city and you want to see what's going to happen in October, I'm not sure that right now the, the models go out that far, they may or may not, but if you're looking at a couple months in advance or a month in advance, you want to see what's going on for that destination, you can go to covid19.healthdata.org to, to get uh, up-to-date information on what's happening now and what will happen in the next couple of months. So kind of drawing from a variety of different sources, looking at both the specific location, the events happening, the broader trends, the, yes, the CDC on a federal level, what are they recommending, and kind of using a variety of reliable sources. And then we're working with a lot of our clients and third-party planners, DMCs, and providing consulting services and, and in-house physicians as a, as a team of, of physicians and nurses that are, are experts in pandemic preparedness and have been dealing with COVID on the front line. So 
we're doing some consulting for clients as well to give them some advice. Yeah. And you'd actually, I think it was in-house physicians developed a pandemic preparedness program. Is that right? Back during the H1N1 spread. Yeah. Thanks for, for bringing that up. H1N1 was what I call a cry wolf pandemic, really wasn't any more serious than the seasonal flu, but it, it definitely uh, spawned a lot of conversation. And so we partnered up with Roche Genentech, providing them a solution for their 20,000 employees in North America. We took that experience and that skill set and brought it to a bunch of other critical infrastructure companies over the past 10 years. The interesting thing is, is that a lot of, a lot of pandemic preparedness relies on a, a, an antiviral that is effective. And this particular pandemic, we didn't have such a, such a medication. So it kind of changed the game. I, I imagine a lot of ways COVID is changing the game in a, in a number of, of ways. And you'd mentioned um, that the phone's really been ringing off the, the, the hook for in-house physicians now as far as demand. Do you expect this to really be a, a game changer as far as meetings and their relationship to medical professionals? Will we start seeing a health safety officer be sort of a standard part of staff at, at meetings, do you expect? Well, I think for the next year it will be. There's I would say a minority of meeting professionals had an on-site physician at, at their larger meetings. Now I think it's going to be the majority. For the next year or so, like every uh, crisis we have, our, our memories fade away and we, we start to get, go back to business as usual. What I'm hoping is not just for <laughs> the financial uh, strength of in-house physicians, but for the industry I'm hoping that they take some of the lessons learned and incorporate them long term because what the industry needs to start to accept is that this is going to be something that's going to happen much more frequently. You know, we've had two pandemics in the first two decades of the 21st century. That should tell you something that we're going to have more of them in the end. And I really uh, love the meeting industry, and but it's very um, susceptible, it's very vulnerable to pandemics as we've seen. And so I hope they take lessons from this pandemic and say, hey, what can we do to reduce that vulnerability? So in future pandemics, you know, we don't, we don't have such a, a decimation as we've seen with the industry over the past few months. Yeah. And what are some ways that we as an industry, obviously there's still so much unknown just in the near future, but as you're looking long-term, what are some positive changes that as an industry we could make to kind of ensure a healthier industry? Right now, when you look at the meeting industry, they're really a liability to global health. I mean, let's be, let's be real about it. We, <laughs> we, have meet, we have meetings all over the world. People are traveling all over the world in fact, because of that, infections can spread you know, much quicker with the advent of this global travel that we have for business. Uh, we can flip that upside down. And one of the ways that I see doing that, now this is going to take an industry-wide effort. So it's gonna, we're going to have to get the leaders in the entire industry to work together to create a standard. And so my vision, and maybe a Don Quixote vision, but my vision is that we'll be able to come together and be part of the solution versus the problem. Some of the ways that I see doing that are by first, by maybe developing a surveillance program. So right now, the, the, one of the most powerful ways to combat a pandemic is to identify it early. 
and to identify its spread early so we can take global public health measures to contain it, right? Well, who better to identify the spread than business travelers or business uh, stakeholders for, for, for meetings? If there was a standard in place where at every meeting that there was a, a central body in the, uh, that would collect that information, and so if somebody got sick at a meeting and it was you know, unusual or it was a, someone had a high fever, or they had unusual symptoms or <clears throat> something about it was based on certain criteria, they could report that back to the central reporting body that ultimately went into the global surveillance for pandemics that's already in place right now. So literally the industry could provide early warning signs of the spread or the genesis of a pandemic virus. There's other ways to protect them as well, and that's embracing more of the public global health infectious disease precautions. So there's a new standard in the industry to reduce the transmission of infections at meetings. And that goes back to that PDR, you know, prevention, detection, and response. So taking some of that, those PDR measures that we're going to use for COVID-19 and during over the next year and continuing them into the future. I've heard that said too about, you know, obviously we've not thought about washing our hands as much as, you know, the last couple of months, it's, it's become such a, on people's minds. And this might be an opportunity to rethink those habits and really keep those precautions top of mind. Yes. Much more frequent disinfecting protocols. Maybe we continue temperature checks for some time. Maybe we're stricter about people not coming to a meeting if they're sick policies become much more disciplined in that approach. Prior to COVID-19, wellness was obviously a, a hot topic in the, the meetings industry. I wonder if health security is going to be sort of the new way of thinking about attendee wellness, protecting yourself and, and in a much more of a, you know, a, a serious kind of a, approach to it. Well, thanks for that segue, because I do believe that there is a distinction between health security and wellness. However, when you really look at health security and preventing infection, our greatest preventative tool is our own immune system. And so we're exposed to hundreds of viruses every day and we don't get sick. Why? Because we, we have an immune system and we take it for granted. We all take it for granted. We just say we're not gonna get sick because we got a good immune system. But the immune system can be uh, damaged uh, in the very short term by certain things. One is stress or your inability to manage stress. Another one is sleep. You know, if you're stressed out and you're not getting enough sleep, you're at a much higher risk of getting sick from an infection. And then finally, nutrition. Wellness now takes on a, like you said, a, a more important role in health security than we ever would have thought of because it can protect your immune system. So wellness at meetings now, it's not just, uh, helping people be more productive or perform high, at higher levels, but it may protect them from catching an, an infection. It's uh, even more important than ever. I have a passion for wellness and as it relates to just lifestyle choices and leading a healthier life. And I, I feel that meeting attendees need that more than ever. They, they're, they're not getting enough sleep. They're stressed out. They tend to calm themselves down with drinking and other things that uh, affect their health and their immune system. So one of the takeaways I'm hoping is that meeting professionals embrace wellness at meetings more and offer healthier choices and offer 
yoga, meditation, apps that they can use while they're at the, at the conference and to help them feel better while they're there. As there's been a lot of talk back and forth about when, when to have a meeting or is the industry ready to start meeting again? What's your response to that? Obviously, there's so many unanswered questions still. And uh, in general, what's your outlook on that when a planner who's trying to figure out whether they should try to make their meeting happen or not? What sort of things do you think that they should think <laughs> through? That's the million dollar question. Yeah. Right. If you were to ask me right now, I'd say if you're planning a meeting in October, November, December timeframe, it's realistic to think about planning during that time. However, you're definitely going to, there's going to be a higher risk in the, in those meetings than 2021, like in the, in the spring. But what I would do is take a look at the, the leading indicators for that. So there is a risk that your meeting would get canceled in the fall if you're if you're planning still to have a meeting in the fall, but there's also a chance that you'd be okay. But the leading indicators uh, that you're going to want to pay attention to are what's going on in, in the country as a, as a whole. Are the, are the death rates going down? Are the hospitalizations going down? Are the total number of new cases going down? And right now, you, you see that they are going down on the on the heavily populated areas and the less populated areas like in the Midwest and, and parts of the South, there's numbers that are going up. So that's not a good sign. That's not a, a sign of stability. You're looking for things that are creating stability with the COVID pandemic. And, and so we still have hot spots. We still have areas of the country where things are going up. So right now that, that means that, Hey, we're not there yet, but what, then the next thing you'll see is, okay, in the areas that where things are stabilizing are are people going back to work, and so if you know by August we have most in a staggered way in the country we have a majority of the population back to work, and then if September end of August beginning of September the public schools are open and kids go back to school even if it's a in an augmented fashion, then those are all really good signs. And if so, by August we have the numbers going down. We have schools back in session, and we have the majority of the population back at work. Those are all really great signs that if we're in that situation, then having a meeting in the fall would probably be fine. But we just don't know yet. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I, thanks a lot, Jonathan. I, and it was great chatting. And obviously, uh, this is still a developing issue, but I look forward to, uh, to keeping in touch. And, and it was good to, to get your, your take on this issue. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.